Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are the ever-present God. And that, Lord, we are a people, Lord, who are learning to walk with you. For you never leave us. But, Lord, there's times that, Lord, we get off on the beaten path. We, we kind of like drift from you and don't even know that we're drifting. And, Lord, as I even think of some who are drifting even now, I just pray for them. That they might get back on the right path. And that, Lord, that they would seek you above all else. And their desire would be to walk with you. And that, Lord, that they would recognize that, Lord, what they think sometime we're providing for ourselves. Lord, you've already provided because, Lord, you know what we have need of. And, Lord, we pray that you will continue to just minister to us. Forgive us for our unfaithfulness. Forgive us, Lord, for our stumbling. Forgive us sometime, Lord, having the desire in our heart that we want to run away from home. And we're so thankful that the songwriter penned, Come home, come home. And I pray, Father, that would ring loudly into the ears of some, O God. That they might know, O God, that they can always come home. And Father, we pray this morning that, Lord, you minister to us. For you are our anchor, Lord. You are the one who keeps us from being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You're the one who holds steadfastly onto us. And Lord, we pray, Father, that we would be a people, O oh God, who are willing, Lord, to be anchored in Thee and in Thee alone. May Your Holy Spirit come and minister to us. May He speak to our hearts and our minds. May He reveal to us that which is yet to come. And Lord, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you read a couple of weeks ago in the Big No Journal when they talked about the UN talking about the water shortage that most likely will take place about 2030? There's going to be a great water shortage. And we're not talking about going to war over land or over oil or over this or talking about how will we keep countries from going to war over water. And how many of you read just last week when Jerry Brown signed in California, early part of the year now for California, no wasting of water, no water in your yards. In Revelation, it speaks about the angel touching the water and making it bitter where we will not be able to drink it. In Revelation, it talks about different things that are going to take place. And, and I think what John is showing us is this. Not that it just occurs in that week or that month or in that year. But these are things that have slowly what? Approached. They've been coming slowly. Now, some of you may say, well, it don't bother me because I'm going to be out of here. 
Well, how about your children? How about your grandchildren? How about your close friends, your relatives? How about your co-workers? How about someone you care for? Would you want them just to be left in misery? Or would you desire to have the information to share it with them? See, the Lord has called us to be watchmen on the walls. And we need to understand many people don't read their Bible and sometimes even those who read their Bible don't believe everything that's in the Bible. And we fall into trouble because we don't believe. And there's a lot of people who don't believe this world will ever come to an end. But if science is right, then it's going to come to an end because in science you'll read everything that has a beginning can also have an end. And we know scientifically man has not always walked this earth. We know that. And at some point, again, we're going to disappear. For whatever reason you may want to state our disappearance, we will no longer be here. We will no longer exist. Oftentimes, we're looking for information that cannot be very clear to us, but then there's information in the Word of God that is clear, and, and that's what I want to concentrate on. That which I think is clearer than others. Because those are the things that we can learn from. And we can prepare and we can apply. If you take a lesson from Old Testament, sometime God started warning Israel as much as 50, 70, almost 100 years before he would take them into captivity. He would give them warning of their behavior. He would give them little signs, what I think we're getting now. The ice melt, the weather changing, the global warming, the water situation, and most of all, our immorality. That God is giving us signs. It's up to us now to either open our eyes to believe it, that God is trying to deliver his message and that we can see it even through scripture. Now most of us who are maybe 50 and older, we're going to sense some of the intensity of it, but our younger generation, those who are in their teens right now, they're going to really hit the real intensity of it all. They're going to really see the outpouring of Satan in their life. They're really going to see it. For Johnny back there to find a wife, which the scripture says is a good thing to find, is going to be very difficult to find one who does not already have children with them. It will be very difficult, as some young women say, to find a Good man is going to be very difficult 
And what our young people don't understand, what you do while you're young is always in the computer and you'll always have flashbacks. The Bible speaks of the very first woman you sleep with is basically your wife. So men who sleep with this woman, this woman, this woman, and this woman who sleeps with this man, and this man, this man, when they get married, carry all them into the bedroom with them. Why? It's up here. It's up here. And you can't get rid of it. Now what you need to understand is this here. In our time in which we're living... We have never seen so many young people on medicine, on nerve medicine, anxiety, depression. We have never seen so many people taking medicine, seeking peace and being able to sleep because of the stressfulness of the world in which we're living in. Now, understand this. Who understands what John the Baptist's purpose was? He had a purpose of being, as Scripture says, the forerunner for Jesus Christ. What he was going to do is set things up to make it a little easier that when Christ come, people would be ready to repent. Because why? They've gone through it with him. They have come to a place to recognize they were sinners. And they need to repent of their sin. So that when Christ came, it wasn't something new to them. The forerunner of the dragon, and we're going to look at the dragon. We're going to look at the false prophet. We're going to look at the beast. And then we're going to look at that great city, Babylon, that whore, that mother of fornication and adultery, and we're going to try to understand what was Babylon, that great city, because in Babylon you had all this immorality. In Babylon, it is also in history, Babylon is noticed for all of its heresies and false teaching, which we have encompassed in our culture and society today. But who is the forerunner of that? Who is setting that up for the beast, for the false prophet, for the city of Babylon? Who's setting that up? Who, who, who's programming the young minds today? Who's bringing people into this area that... They are dull in sensitivity about things. Who's bringing people into a place where there's this constant rebellion and disrespect for any authority? Who is bringing people into a place that they're crying for peace, peace, and there is no peace? Because in this world there is no peace. And we're beginning to see people really desiring peace, and there is no peace. Because someone's keeping the water, what? Stirred. There's only one. 
And John is the only one who speaks about him. But he's not mentioned in Revelations. So he does all his work prior to, in a sense, of the beast, the false prophet, and this great city of Babylon coming forth. His job is to prepare the mind. His job is to begin to prepare the heart. His job is to begin to deal with the consciousness of man. His job is to set society in a way that they don't even know what's going on, but it's going on. And he's called the Antichrist. That there would be such a spirit in America... That's against Christ. And you can see it today. If you're honest with yourself, you see it, you hear it. That there's beginning more and more people who are against Christ. Now understand how that first begins. It doesn't begin by a person just saying, I'm against Christ. It starts very subtle by teaching the people a lie that says, let's just all get along. It teaches people, well, there's more than one way to God than just Jesus Christ. It teaches people, as long as you love and respect the partner you're with, it don't matter if you have a little paper called a marriage license. It doesn't matter if you have children out of wedlock. You still love them, one of, one of you at least. It doesn't matter if it has damaging effects upon somebody. It doesn't matter how our children sometimes are raised in the home with all the different individual things that are taking place personally in their lives. And this Antichrist sets all this underground. And he's teaching. He's writing books and getting them into our educational system. He's teaching us how to dress differently. So in our culture, there is no such thing as modest. He's teaching us how to disrespect each other. Every individual, even Scott in South Carolina, if he would not have ran, if he would have just did what was right to do, even if he would have went to jail, he would still be alive. See, what's the difference? Now really weigh this ethically. What's the difference if I shot you over you stealing a penny or if I shot you stealing a million dollars? What's the difference? You're still what? You're still stealing. It's not about the value. And we'll hear people argue the issue. That wasn't worth them getting shot about. No, the issue was he was stealing. What's the difference 
If you attack my wife and you slap her and I do something to you, or you do the worst thing I could think of to my wife and I do something. See, we have put value anymore, not so much over the thing that is wrong. We put the value on the thing that is, in a sense, and then we say the that wasn't worth the person dying for. They shouldn't have did this because of this. They shouldn't have did this. The bottom line is this. We are a people today that will not respect authority. And we forget what Romans 13 speaks about. That God has ordained this authority whether I like it or not. And one of the things our young people have to learn is this. When somebody got a gun, they're in authority. The first thing to do is this. Stay alive. Stay alive. If you stay alive, then you can fight any misjustice that is done to you. But if you're dead, you can't even fight it. Nor can you benefit from it if you win the case. Why? You're dead. Turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. All right, I'm already there. I want you to catch something, because sometimes we put our attention on the wrong thing. I'm not worried so much about the date and the time. I'm not worried about when I get out of here. I'm worried about that I am going to get out of here. Okay. And First Thessalonians 5 said, Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Paul's saying, that's not the real issue. The time and the dates, that's not the real issue. What happens when you begin to think about going on vacation and it gets closer to that date? Do you begin to slack off about some of the things you need to do at home? You start getting ready for what? The vacation. See? You even say to yourself, well, I'll clean the house when I come back. See? You start thinking other things. And your mind gets caught on the vacation and that trip and what you're going to do. And some of the immediate things, even paying the bills, become second. Because I might need this cash for what? For vacation. And we forget what he tells us to do in Acts 1. Occupy until he comes. Be busy to that very last moment until he comes. He says, work wise yet day. For we know what? Night's coming. Don't start slacking off on work because it says evening. Now we've taught ourselves that mentally even on our job. We go on our job and we start 8 in the morning. But for some reason, when we, we'll work good until lunchtime, but after lunchtime, we start doing what? And don't let it get in the last hour. 
we really slack off. And in God's work, we shouldn't slack off. That's the time we really get busy as the hour draws closer. And he's telling us, don't get all upset and all worried and all fighting about the times and dates. And one thing about Christianity, we've done that. We've seen people set dates, set times, set this, set that. God knows when. Just like death, guess what? You won't be late for it. You'll be right on time. And he said, don't worry about the time or the dates. He said, we have no need to write to you. Now look what he tells us. You know very well that the day of the Lord is what? It's coming. That's a certainty. You know that. At least I hope you know it. That one day God is coming. Jesus is coming for his church. You know that. You truly know that. You're living for that day. You're living for that moment. You're living for that hour. For he said, if you have this in your mind, it purifies you. It causes you to change your life. If this is really deep-seated in you, that Christ is coming for his church. And he says, you know it. So if you know it, you don't have to worry about the time. See, during the summer, me, me and my brothers and her, we used to go out to what was called my grandma and my Aunt Lizzie's house. And we would go out there and we'd spend a month, maybe a month and a half, two months. But we would get a call, or my grandmother or aunt would get a call from my dad or mom saying, my dad's going to pick us up on the next day and so forth. We hadn't seen all of our cousins. We hadn't been out and everything else. But we haven't seen dad and mom for a little while. And a lot of times we have our little brown bags already packed, waiting on the porch. We didn't know exactly what time my dad was coming, but we did know he went into work at 6. And usually he was coming up the driveway in Akron between 1230 and 1. And we're in Barberton, so we know dad can come from Starbling to my aunt's house in about 15 minutes. Boy, we'd be out there with our bags sometime. We'll have our bags right along here. But we'd be there. We wouldn't be at Uncle Bob's. We wouldn't be over here at this place. We wouldn't be there. We'd be there at my aunt's house looking and waiting for who? Yes. We haven't seen him for a while. We're ready to see him. It was exciting to go to my aunt's and my grandmother's and spend the summer, but it was good to get back home with dad and mom. It was good. And see, if God gave us the exact hour and time, guess what? We'd be right there on the porch sitting and waiting. And he doesn't want us sitting and waiting. He wants us busy. Doing, witnessing, sharing with people his love. He wants us out here in the world doing what he's called us to do. Think about Jesus. Even on the cross, he was still doing what the Father sent him to do. He was doing it up to his last 
breath. And before the last breath, before he commended his spirit into his father's hand, his prayer for us was, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive. He never lost consciousness of what he was about. Don't lose consciousness of what your job is. Don't lose consciousness that you have been saved to be a witness. Don't lose consciousness that you've been called to lead others to Christ. Don't lose consciousness that you have a testimony and a work to perform. Don't lose consciousness of that. And he says, you know very well that I'm coming. You know that. Now, come on, read verses 3 and 6. What do I do with you? Read verses 3 and 6 with me. He says, get these glasses straight. While people are saying peace and safety, Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. Then look at verse 4. He simply says, but you brothers, listen to him, you brothers. Are not in darkness. So that this day should surprise you like a what? See, see, you and I, we're not in darkness. It's not that we don't have knowledge that he's coming. We have that knowledge that he is coming. So we're not in darkness. But with that knowledge now, how are you living? With that knowledge, what are you doing? With that knowledge, are you looking and expecting? With that knowledge, are you as busy as you could ever be? And he simply says, you're not in darkness. And then he says in that verse 6, listen to what he says you ought to do, be doing. So then let us not be like others who are what? Asleep. This is not a time of rest. Hey, I wonder if we could figure out how many hours employers lose because people start getting ready to go home an hour before it's time to go home. I used to be there too, you know. Man, take my gloves off. Don't want another job, isn't that right, Roscoe? Don't 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 talk about no job in this last hour. <laughs> no. Now, wouldn't it be great if the employer came and said, "I'm not paying you that last hour"? Boy, everything would break loose. Hey. But he says, "We are not those who fall asleep, but let us be what alert." Alert, watching, busy, knowing what we're doing. And listen to what he says in self-control. Because what the Antichrist is going to be doing, you're going to need self-control. And remember, who gives you self-control? The Holy Spirit. 
Because see, in our natural self, we're going to be just like the world. We're going to be scared over what we see, but we have a hope, a sure hope. And we know that these things have to take place. And I would say to you, start preparing your young children. Start preparing your grandchildren. Because they're going to go through some very difficult days. See, we're buying water now. How many of you ever thought thought you would be buying bottled water? But you're buying it now. And guess what? It's not getting cheaper. And just think, how many of you have ever seen so many bread companies go out of business? And yet it's the basis that we all use. I mean, boy, my mom, boy, we took peanut butter jelly sandwiches to school in that little brown bag. I mean, mayonnaise sandwiches. Boy, and you really want a good mayonnaise sandwich, take a little mayonnaise sandwich and sprinkle some sugar on it. But what are you going to do when you can't even get bread? Or bread costing $5 a loaf. See, you need to start preparing your children. See, one of the things that bother me sometimes, I bought my first car, brand new car, 65 Mustang. Boy, I thought I was something. Hey, You can't buy a piece of junk today for $1,900. Bought our first home, a fairly new home. Elaine and I just just got married. We lived in an apartment for maybe a year, year and a half. I wasn't even 21 yet, 20 years old. I had about another five months before I reached 21. Back then, you couldn't do anything until you was 21. But I had been to Vietnam and back and had my GI Bill. I can use my GI Bill. But the law said I can't buy until I'm 21. And the real estate guy said, I'm going to trust you for five months. If you mess up, I'm going to come find you. And he allowed us to buy our first home at $19,000. Hardwood floors. Boy, we thought we were living in a mansion. Extra lot along the side. And now, boy, when these folks talk about buying a new home at 225000 185000 I kind of shake for them. <laughs> My brother back there tell you, me and money is hard to separate. <laughs> But just think of what homes are costing now and then think what a home will cost when Mark's ready to buy a home or Johnny's ready to buy a home. Just begin to think what you're paying rent for now, what your children will pay rent for. And will they have the ability to do it? Because see, Satan, the Antichrist, is setting forth a program that's going to make you not so much need government, you're going to need him. Because you're not going to be able to even buy or sell without his permission. And he 
He says there in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 18, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. I love that. Why? It allows me to know something. God himself is coming for me. He's coming for me. He's not sending a messenger. He's not sending the angel. He's not sending anybody else. He is personally coming for me. Now, my dad could have sent my older brothers out to pick us up. He could have sent somebody else maybe. But you know, he personally came. My Father from heaven is personally coming to receive me. Jesus Christ is coming to receive me unto himself. He's coming. He's coming. And it says, with the command, with the voice of archangels, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So he gives me an order of how this thing is going to take place. Always understand this about our God. He's always a God of order. Even when we look at it, and it might be all confusing and all messed up, God is a God of order. And that's where some people get soul sleep, that you go in the grave and you're just sleeping. That's where you're at. Well, I'm like Paul, absent from the body, present with the Lord, but the Lord's going to reunite my soul with what? My body. And I'm going to have a new body as it comes out that grave. That's going to be reunited with my soul that he brings with him. And he goes on, he says, after that, we who are still alive, now that might be some of your children or grandchildren. That might be some of your great-grandchildren. That might be some of your relatives. I'm trying to get you to think, to understand how important understanding that Jesus really is coming back. And you can say, oh, I'm safe. I'm out of here. But how about your relatives? How about your children? How about your grandchildren? How about your great-grandchildren? And he says, The dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up, there's the rapture, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So I'm not worried about it because, see, he's not going to be late for his coming. I'm not going to put it where it's here, it's there, it's over here. What I'm depending on is not my estimation, but his promise. He's coming. And he's coming for me. He's coming for me. That's what I'm sure of. That's what I'm sure of. He's coming and he's coming for me. I'm sure of. And he says, and we will... And we will be with the Lord forevermore. Now listen to what he says. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Not with dates. Not that it's going to happen here or happen there or happen over here. Encourage each other with these words. I'm coming. And I'm coming for you. Then in 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Boy, I'm so glad this is in Scripture. For he says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Now understand something. He didn't say I wouldn't suffer under the Antichrist. 
He didn't say I wouldn't suffer under the programs of the Antichrist. He didn't say I wouldn't see the Antichrist setting up his programs where I might be denied some of the things that I take for granted or I think for luxury. See, as the Antichrist sets up and he says, well, you're a Christian, like it is in some Muslim countries today, and say, well, you're a Christian, you can no longer live in that home. Therefore, you got to go live in a tent. Now, I'll let you stay in the home if you denounce Christ. Well, I own this home. I got the deed for it. Let me share something with you. Antichrist ain't going to care if you got a deed or not. The Antichrist don't care if you got titles. You can be this. You can be that. You can be whatever. He's not going to care about who you are, what he is concerned about, who you stand for. Who you stand for. Who you believe in. Who you're trusting for. Your supplies and your need. And see, what he's going to try to do is break us from depending on Jesus to depending on who? Him. Depending on Him. And see, there's that conditioning of our minds. And we're going to look just a little bit further about the inner. Because see, there's this slow conditioning that is taking place. When you talk to older people and they're watching how younger people are being raised, they're saying, well, what's wrong with these folks? I wouldn't let my child talk to me that way. I wouldn't let my child kick me or slap me. I wouldn't let my child do this or that. Understand, Satan starts at a very early age. (laughs) Very early age. Why do you think Hitler called young boys very early and started them club? He didn't call the older folks so so much. He started all these young kids and began to teach them and program them in their minds. God says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not appointed to his wrath. Now that doesn't mean I'm not appointed to the sufferings of the Antichrist and what the Antichrist might do. I, hey, I'm going to have to work through that, but I got control. I can work through that because the Holy Spirit is here with me. I can work through that. Why? Because he's promised he's never seen the seed of David begging for bread that somehow my God will provide for me. It may be sleeping in a tent. It may be eating some hot dogs, which I enjoy, but my wife don't like for me to eat them today. The whole process is these things that take place. But I'm not appointed to his wrath. That's a promise that I can hold to. That I'm not appointed to his wrath. Now, he says, Scripture tells us that the Antichrist is active. He's at work right now. And he says, in John he says, many... 
So it's just not one person. It's a spirit that's influencing many individuals. Therefore, we don't see the word Antichrist in Revelations, because in Revelation, you're able to see the beast. You're able to see the false prophet. The Antichrist is a spirit that permeates. The Antichrist is that one who will teach without being noticed, without being seen. The Antichrist moves in with his philosophy, his program, his teaching. Now, who does it? And again, in Timothy, it tells us that we will be taught by demons, the teachings of demons. How do demons teach? They teach in our public system. They teach by, in this manner. It's not good for the parents to say no to their children. But guess what the Antichrist is going to say? No. <laughs> we teach by, oh, allow them to experience anything and everything. Where everything is not expedient for you. Though you can do whatever you want to do, is not healthy for you. But the Antichrist says, no, let them just experience whatever they want to experience in life. So Johnny said to his mom, mom, I'm going to spend the night out. Isn't that right, Johnny? You get you a night out. See? And then in your last year of high school, you're going to bring your girlfriend home and say, mom, we camping out tonight. We're just going to experience something. See? Stay... Johnny, stay alive, man. Stay alive. Hey, stay alive. But the whole process is that kids think, I can just do anything I want to do. And this whole thing of maturing. Boy, we can show off in class, can't we, Mark? We can get right up as a teacher and we can argue. Hey. And somehow the Antichrist gets in here and says to kids, this younger generation, you're free. You can do anything you want to do. You're an adult. You know, go out here and experience this. Go out here and experience that. Learn how to say no to your parents. Learn how to even cuss your parents out. Learn how to disrespect your parents. Learn how to stand up for your rights. It's a slow, undermining current that will destroy a people. Just like a little water going under a road that does away with the dirt up under. But everything on top looks very, very good. But when you step on it or put a car or put some weight on it, what happens? You got a sinkhole. You got a sinkhole. Go to John, First John. Chapter 2, verse 18. 1 John chapter 2. And I said, John's the only one who really talks about the Antichrist. And he's not really mentioned in Revelation. And I believe he's not mentioned because he is the forerunner of the beast. 
and the false prophet and that great city of Babylon. He has to set the groundwork. He has to set the mentality. He has to harden the hearts. He has to do it. So in 1 John 2.18, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is what? Is coming. But then look how John changes this real quick. He says, Even now many Antichrists have what? Have come. He didn't say one. He didn't say two. He said many. Many who will be against Christ. Many who will stand against Christ. Many who will not believe. He says there are many who are already at work undermining the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many at work already standing against the things of God. There are many who believe they will never bow their knees to the living God. And he says, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And he goes on and he says, even now many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going shows that none of them belong to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all you know, you know the what? The truth. The only thing that separates you is knowing the truth and believing a lie. You believe that the beast is worthy to be worshipped. You believe the miracles that he does. You believe something that is false, that is not true. And the only way you believe what is not true true is that you have bought into a lie. And he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth but because you know it and because no lie. Now this is what he says. No lie can come from what? From the truth. That if you have truth, no lie can proceed from the truth. And someone has to make up a lie. Someone has to teach you a lie. And you have to buy into the lie. And he said, but no lie can come from the truth. And he goes on, who is the liar? So that becomes the question now. Is it the Antichrist that is lying? Or is it God that's lying? And our young people today, they have to really deal with that issue. Who's lying? Is God's word true? Or is what society says is true? Are my friends true? Or are my parents true? 
Which one is really telling me the truth? And understand this, parents. As your children get older, it becomes harder for them to believe you because, again, they think all you're trying to do is to manipulate them and keep them from doing what they desire what? To do. When I was a young man with our kids at first, a young man, to, an older man told me this, treat your children like a horse. And I didn't know what he was meaning until I started going horseback riding. You go horseback riding and you just let the reins go. That horse is just... <laughs> but you go horseback and you hold to them reins some, that horse is just trot along. But as you let go of the reins, especially on the way back to the barn, <laughs> that horse starts galloping. He starts moving. Hey. But if you hold the reins tight and ask God for wisdom and discernment, when to let them loose? Because you want to see your children run. You want to see your children fly. You want to see them accomplish and be successful. But you have to remember, you're holding the reins. And you've got to watch for the maturity. You've got to watch to see when they're ready to do that. You've got, you got to watch and see and make sure that they have the ability up here, not just here in the body, but up here to manage what you're going to release to them. Amen. Hey. And as you release it, you're releasing a little bit at a time. But as they get older and you haven't done that, now, boy, I knew I was on a horse. That horse was doing everything he could do to knock me off. He'll go between trees. I had my legs wrapped up around his neck because he was getting that close to the trees trying to rub me off. And I got those reins pulled all the way back. His neck is down on his shoulder, and yet he's, and I'm just pulling. And when I get a chance, I stand up in, the, in, in my stirrups. I'm standing up trying to pull him back. He heading where he want to go home. Because at the barns, he knew his oats was waiting. He knew this was waiting. He was running for what he wanted. And when you allow the reins to go out and then try to pull them back in, it's awful, awful hard to do it. And the Lord simply says to us, boy, there are many antichrists out there. And you need to understand that as you let your children go out. They're going to go out and they're going to be under the teaching of demons. Whether it be by friends, whether it be by teacher, whether it be by somebody else in the church. You need to know what your children are always learning. And make those corrections. And he says, boy... They're there. Why? Because there's many antichrists out there. Now go to verse 22. Listen to what he says. He says, See that what you have heard, I'm sorry, 22. Who is that liar? Is it God or is it the antichrist? Is it God or is it Satan? Is it God or is it the demons? Is it God or is it your best friend? Is it God or is it this teacher? Is it God? Who, who, who's lying? If God says a man is a man, but the teacher said they can be whatever they want to be, 
Who's lying? If God says a family is a father, a mother, and children, who's lying? We got so many things listed as family, and this is becoming the argument. A lot of things that are listed as family cannot yet get the tax benefit from it. But they're listed as family, and they're fighting to be able to write it off on taxes like any other family. But they're not family yet. That's what people don't understand even about the marriage act between gays. Now I can write my partner off. Now we can do something. We get the benefits from it. I can even sign them up on my insurance now. We get benefits from it. And what I can't understand is this. Is a man or a woman who desires just to live together and recognize they're throwing away all these benefits that the gays want to have. And he simply says again, who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Let's take it a little bit deeper too. When you deny Jesus, you deny his teaching. When you deny Jesus, you deny his word. When you deny him, you're lying. But you have bought into a lie. You have bought into a lie when you do that. And the whole issue is don't buy into a lie. Don't buy into it. Go to chapter 4 and verse 3. He comes back down. He says, But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from who? Can, can you distinguish that? Can you distinguish what is from Jesus and what is not from Jesus? Remember that's why the scripture tells us Satan comes as an angel of what? He wants to confuse you about the messengers. He will look like the messenger of God when he's out to tell you a lie. He will look at and it will seem to you this is a messenger of God. When is Satan, the Antichrist, there to deceive you? And he says, boy, this is how you will recognize the Spirit of God. Every, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of who? The Antichrist. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already what? Yeah. He's already at work. If, if, if you knew you had but just a week to live, what all would you try to pack in that week? Would you quit work? Would you quit paying your bills? 
See, a lot of us quit paying our bills. Let them get it at they time. If they want to come on up where I'm at, let them come. <laughs> you know. The thing is, is this. Satan knows his time is getting what? And because his time is getting short, he's willing to risk everything. Because what do I have to lose? Because Satan's goal is this. Is to take as many as he can to hell with him. You can say Satan has this mentality. If I can't rule you here and rule you in heaven, I'll rule you in hell. And his goal is to try to take as many with him as he can. And he said, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. What is surprising me today is this is how many of us as adults are not recognizing the spirit of the Antichrist? There is a time, and Scripture says this, that we will suffer for righteousness' sake. And we need to understand that when we stand for righteousness... That does not mean sometimes there will not be consequences for our stand. In this world, when we stand for what is right, sometimes our closest friends will chastise us. When we stand for what is right and do what is right, Sometimes we'll suffer the penalty or even a loss of a job because our ethical sense says we can't do the wrong thing. When we stand for that which is right, it's not about I'm going to hurt a person's feeling. The issue is it's either right or wrong because there's no gray area. And he says, he's already at work in the world. He's already at work in the world. And Second John in verse 7, he brings us, because what I want you to see now is the main power that the Antichrist will use. What's his main weapon? What is the thing he's going to do? And you can see him using it constantly in the minds of our young people. You can see it in, in, in the minds of people all over. The whole issue is this here, is that Satan's going to tell you some kind of a lie that you believe that you can get over, you can get by, you can get around. Yesterday in a seminar on the Black Male Summit, one of the last seminars that I went to, the gentleman presented all the individuals who were killed. And he presented different type of imagery showing how sometimes we're depicted this way and that way. And he said, now America got so upset if you remember a couple of months ago when they set this air pilot on fire in the cage, he said America got really upset that they burned him in the cage. But then he took us back years 
were down in South Carolina also, same state. They pulled a man out because a woman charged him for staring at him, and they burned him in his front yard. And then his wife said, if I recognize any of them, I'm going to take them to the law. And they came back that evening, got her, and burned her in the same place. And he said, America get excited when they've been doing it. I understood his point. But then as we had a moment alone, I asked him this. Why is it that as African Americans so often the rule can be laid down and we try to get around the what? The rule. Why is it that the law, we know the law, but we try to get over the law, under the law, around the law, rather than just perform or do the law. And I challenged him to look at something. At all these lives, even the fellow in New York that was choked, if he would have just did what he was being commanded to do, would he still be alive today? Even though I got shot four times in the back, I was running from... And the only thing that's going to be very powerful for this police officer, even though they're saying no, he told the man, commanded the man, stay in the car. Whenever we defy authority... We're wrong and a rebellion is taking place. And that can be hard because even black people will jump up very quick. Well, it wasn't worth his life. They could have picked him up later. And I agree with all that. But the reality is we cannot rebel against authority. If we see authority as God being the one who is in control. Go to verse 7, and we're going to close out here. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and what? Now, what I want you to put, put your eyes on is this. Deceiver. Now, one, I would have had to calculate in my mind. He's 33 years old. I'm 50-something years old. You can see he couldn't run fast. This guy got to practice running so many yards to pass his test once a year or twice a year or whatever time they do it. Okay. My son said they have to do it once a year. He has to go to the firing range every six months, make sure he can still hit his target and so forth. And here goes this old gentleman trying to outrun a 33-year-old. See, part of what hurts us and is going to really cause damage with the Antichrist, we don't think. We just respond 
we don't think. Parents, if you ever do anything with your children, give them situations at dinner time. And cause them, make them give you the options. Make them think it through. Option one, option two, option three. And then when they're done giving you the option, then really talk to them. Okay, what's the best option? We used to do that at the dinner table. I would come up with a scenario and I'd give it to them and I'd tell them, give me your options. <laughs> Why? They got to think it through. They got to think it through. They got to learn how to process it. They got to learn how. Option one, option two, option three. It had been better for me to put the car in gear and take off than try to outrun. If I was going to get away. But the best option was to stay in the car like he told me to. The whole process here. He says to deceive. The man was deceived thinking he could what? Get away. I don't care if it's just a broken teller. He was deceived thinking he could get away. And oftentimes Satan sets us up. Young people, listen to this. One night stand is a deception of the enemy. Just one hour in wrong action is a deception from the enemy thinking you're going to get away. We don't get away because the scripture says your sin will find you out. You don't get away. You cannot run away from yourself. And that's one of the things that Satan tries to get in. That you think you can run away from your consciousness. You think you can run away from your guilt. You think you can run away from your wrong. You think you can run away from your lie. You think you can run away. You can't run away from it. That's part of the deception. Because wherever you go, it goes with you. But the deceiver says, it's okay. Won't nobody know. It won't harm you. It won't hurt you. You'll enjoy it. It's okay. Have your fun. Get your excitement. That's all deception. Even the police officer deceived himself. He's stealing $2,000 out from under. And the camera's right on him. But he deceived himself thinking he could what? Get away with it. Even though he's a police officer. He's going to steal $2,000 and think he can get away from it. Those other police officers who were just arrested, kicking and beating the man out in the desert about a stolen... Huh, who ever think a camera would be out in the desert? Because, see, when you think you're doing wrong, somebody got an eye on you. And Satan somehow give us this little safety net. You're going to be all right. Nobody's going to see you. Some of you older ones, my age, 
Remember we used to go to parties? Didn't want to walk down the basement with all the lights on. But boy, you put one of them. Who knew that blue light? <laughs> there wasn't no bright light. <laughs> when it dim, and the Lord says, what's done in the dark will be what? But Satan deceives us and says, oh, you can get away with it. The biggest weapon that Satan uses is a lie through deception. He's out to deceive you. He's out to deceive you. If there's one word I can give to young people right now, Treasure what your parents are teaching you. It will prepare you for the future. It will help you in the future. It will be an anchor for you in the future. If your parents love the Lord and walking in the Lord and counseling you through the word of God, it will be an anchor to you and Satan will not be able to deceive you. Get in that word, even with your parents. When your parents say something and you want to challenge it, get into the word. And then take them the word and show it to them. You get in the word. Understand as a child and a parent, when both of you get in the word, with God you're both what? (laughs) On the same plane, seeking what? Truth. And if the parent is honest, they can't argue what the Word says if you're right in it. Get in the Word. And in John 8.44 it says that Satan is nothing but a liar. And the Antichrist is spreading the biggest lies going today. And he tells us in 1 John 5.9, be under control. He has this whole world under control even in it says, go back to it. First uh, John chapter five verse nine, he said, "Me get there. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which He has given about His Son." Now go to nineteen with me, because the testimony is about His Son. Listen to what He says. Now we know that we are children of God. How many of you know that? You really know you're born again. This morning something was said in Sunday school and, and I, I, I didn't want to hit it, but I'm going to hit it right now for a moment. Melvin did a good job with it because like he said, sooner or later that child has to do what? Claim it for themselves. Now it's great when your child has accepted the Lord when they were young. But if you don't see some evidence of that salvation, if you don't see some evidence of that seed growing, you've got to question that early today. Did you mean what you said? Or did you just say it because I told you to say it? Did you just do it because I led you in prayer? 
Because, see, you got to begin to see some evidence of a transformation in that person's life. You know your child. But you want to begin to see some biblical fruit come forth. And if you don't see that, you want to question if they were really sincere or were they just going through a religious motion, taking a religious exercise. They were just pleasing mom or pleasing dad. Now, true, you don't know the heart, but God knows the heart. But if you're not satisfied that you're seeing some results of the work of the Holy Spirit in your child's life. See, sometimes, meaning Lane, when we plant our garden, sometimes we got to go back and replant. <laughs> because the seed has just died in the ground. <laughs> it don't hurt to replant. It don't hurt to replant. I'd rather replant and see that seed come up than have a seed laid dormant and dead and nothing comes forth. And he simply says there in 19, he says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of who? The evil one. The whole world is under control of the evil one. Society is being conditioned for Satan's purpose. We have to understand that in this end times. The thinking is being conditioned for Satan's purpose. The laws are being made for the purpose of Satan. Everything that's going on today... Satan is in his last hour, in a sense. And you're going to see laws change that you would never have thought would have been changed. There's no use fighting against this thing about gay marriage. That thing is passed, done, wrapped up, Supreme Court, everything. But that doesn't mean I agree with it. To me, it's still wrong. Why? Because Scripture says it's wrong. Would that mean someday if a gay person comes here and says, I want to get married here, and I say no, the government comes in and say, we're going to shut your door because you're showing, you're discriminating, you're showing prejudice, so be it. We have to meet out in the yard under the tree. We have to understand that. Because Satan is conditioning a society for his purpose, not for the glory of God. Satan's after your children. He's after your grandchildren. Satan is going to work in the mind and the consciousness if you don't intervene and allow your children, your grandchildren, to know what truth is. The Antichrist is not mentioned in Revelation, but it's the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, and Babylon, that great mother of harlot. And that's what we're going to look at in the next coming weeks. Because each one of them play a role now in establishing what Satan, the Antichrist, has already laid the groundwork for. And we're going to look at it. 
Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that we are a people of light and we're not in darkness. But Lord, may you give us understanding and clarity that we might be watchmen on the wall who can warn others. And that, Lord, we can prepare our children, our grandchildren, because, Lord, we don't know where they are. Our desire and our hope is that they truly know you for themselves. But, Lord, we don't know that for sure. Our friends and our relatives, that we can share with them, because we really don't know where they're really at. But that, Lord, and even, Lord, if we're not out of here on the first trip, We'll know how to perform. We'll know how to act. And we will know with confidence that our God is coming. And our God is coming for each and every one of us who named the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we are not appointed to his wrath. And that he will remove us before he ever pour out his wrath upon the wicked. Lord, may you minister to us that we might minister to a dying world and not to be ashamed because oftentimes when we speak about end times, oftentimes when we speak about Christ coming back, people want to say we're using that as a crutch. People want to say we're doing this and we're acting this way. We're, We're crazy and we're off the wall. Let us not be ashamed of the teaching of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 